mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Hey everybody, Sean here from Silicon Theory, and I'm also joined this evening by Sean P. Uh, Greet our uh, audience, Sean P. Guys, it's good to be back. Feels like we haven't done this in a while. Like, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a little bit. We're going to kick it old school and do uh, tonight's Silicon Theory podcast and recap the highlights, lowlights, and everything in between of Mobile World Congress 2018. So the vast majority of the announcements have already been done, and we'll do kind of a two-part segment. We'll talk in the first part about what we liked and didn't like from the vast majority of the assorted OEMs that release products. And then in the second part, we'll talk about kind of the headliner, which is the Samsung Galaxy S9 and the S9 Plus. So uh, stick around. Make sure that you stay through the whole thing if you want to get to the Galaxy goodness. But let's start with um, let's start with Sean P. What what is maybe the one thing, apart from the S9 and S9 Plus announcements, that stood out to you the most about the smartphone OEMs that launched at Mobile World Congress? So, you know, I guess the overarching theme for me, and it's kind of an interesting thing, smartphones are better than ever. I think everyone, anyone who's looking at the market would say that, but uh, most of the announcements really bored me to tears, which shows how spoiled I guess we are at this point. Um, if you look at any of the phones announced this year, all of them are pretty spectacularly well-rounded and bring a variety of features. And, you know, we have small bezels going on for the most part and some other, you know, neat stuff. But I, nothing really stood out save for, I, I will say one thing did stand out. It was kind of a surprise to me, which is a Vivo phone, the Vivo Apex. It stood out because it is the Apex, which means the pinnacle, right? Yeah, I mean... It, just when you think kind of phone design is kind of stagnating, everyone's kind of gone to the same thing, right? We have these small bezels, and then we either have, like, notches or kind of the Galaxy S8, 9 design with just, you know, thin bezels top and bottom. But the Apex is something different. It um, has effectively no bezels on the front. It has, I think, like 1.6 you know millimeters or something around the size, and then there's a 4-millimeter bottom, 4.3, something like that. So it's, like, 95% screen or 98% screen, and... Their solution to the, you know, lack of bezels for a camera is to have the selfie camera pop out of the top. It's mechanical, uh, has a motor, which, you know, look, long term, if you own that phone, you might worry about that. If you, you know, the motor can burn out or if you drop it, I suppose you could break it. But I think it is the most elegant solution I've seen for the lack of bezel uh, problem that's kind of floating around out there. And the other neat trick that it has is it has a under fingerprint uh, fingerprint scanner, under screen fingerprint scanner, excuse me, that is like 40-ish percent of the screen. So it's a rather large uh, area for you to put your thumb on and you can unlock. So I don't know. I think that was the coolest thing I saw. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and agree 100% with you because one, anytime you can have a motorized uh, front-facing selfie camera pop out of the top of your phone uh, at your command... Uh, I wouldn't call it amazing. I'd call it bitchin'. And uh, the Synaptics Clear ID uh, under glass fingerprint solution enlarged um, to the point 
like you said, of the, uh, you know, basically like one third of the screen real estate. And you can literally put your thumb anywhere on that portion of screen real estate to unlock your phone. Still, again, not the fastest solution. Still, again, maybe not as optimized as it might need to be going forward. But um, this to me is really the kind of the choice of the design language that is the future to me. I don't know how I feel about the uh, bone conduction microphone thing for the earpiece. Uh, again, a piece of technology that isn't exactly thrilling me. I much prefer the design language of the S9, S9 Plus with just kind of a, a smaller top and bottom bezel that contains all of those sensors, including the microphone. And uh, as we'll get into later on uh, now, for the first time, a front-facing stereo speaker for the Galaxy phones. But uh, this Vivo Apex concept phone really was something original. And uh, aside from some of the other uh, awesome offerings from Nokia, especially the banana phone, uh, which is a miracle of modern, modern Marvel technology. I read this today. Nokia's banana phone offers you not only the snake game, but a standby battery lifetime of, wait for it, 25 days. Yeah, no one's buying that phone. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Who cares? But yeah, I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing that out of all of the phone designs that have kind of leaked out and that I've seen in the last three, four months, so, you know, post-iPhone uh, X launch and kind of, you know, moving that direction of the relatively bezel-less phone. Um, the two best-looking ones I've seen, I think, are the Vivo, the one we just saw, and then the the Xiaomi Mi Mix 2S, which is leaked out, and its solution to the bezel-free form factor is kind of a in the upper right-hand corner if you're looking at the phone. It has the, the camera there in a very tiny, tiny mm. notch, and then it has a more traditional, you know, speaker earpiece so that you can hear it's not using the bone conduction so it's kind of interesting to me that the the people that are pushing the form factor right now are not the apples and samsung's and lg's of the world or the you know htc any of the big boys it's i would say xiaomi and uh you know this vivo phone vivo. two of the most interesting phones i've seen and uh side note um bone conduction actually a band i saw uh my senior year of high school and uh they played at the palladium they were really good um got tickets on the cheap at a Ticketmaster back in the day um that's 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 totally a really bad joke for those of you who couldn't tell um so let's uh let's maybe go with what <laughs> i'm sitting here and watch that happen in slow motion. I'm just thinking, man, is he gonna stop or is he gonna keep going? And I, you just you ran with it. Yeah, I think you the, took it to the end. The, the moral of the story is, if you're gonna if you're gonna go with a bad joke, take it till it's take it to its logical conclusion, yeah, and then good times like a bone conduction joke, and then jump off, then jump off the car like you're in a Fast and Furious movie. Um, sorry, audience, about that. I digress. Um, let, well, let's talk about Nokia. Let's talk about some of the HMD uh, phones labeled under the Nokia brand. And there was some interesting stuff there for me. They did some new things this year, banana phone aside, which, um, you know, I don't know if anybody's clamoring from uh, for a remake of the phone from 19, what is it, 1996, The Matrix? This is for The Matrix. So I, yeah, it's like 99, I think. Okay. Yeah, 99. yeah, I don't know if anybody's really clamoring to bring that technology, bring 20-year-old phones back, but... Um, Nokia did some really interesting stuff with uh, some phones. What did what did what did we get from Nokia? We got some cool stuff. So I, I guess maybe the first major thing about all of the Nokia phones is they are now an official Android One 
one shop. Android so, One. So what that means for those of you out there is these phones are effectively just running stock Android. It sounds like it's running stock Android with like Nokia's own phone app, more or less, but it means you're guaranteed updates for two years and security updates for three years. Very much like a Pixel phone experience. Yeah, and Nokia has had a pretty good track record of late of updating their phones. For So for those people that are kind of looking for maybe a spiritual successor to the Nexus series that's kind of, you know, lower price devices that are running stock Android, this may be kind of the ticket. Um, so they announced a few phones. Um, they announced the Nokia One, which is kind of their bottom-of-the-line phone, uh, and it's running Android Oreo Go Edition. So for those of you that may not be aware, this is kind of a, a version of Android that is geared towards lower-spec devices. It's designed to run with devices that have lower RAM, for instance, or you know, lower-spec processors and still be smooth. So, um, you know, <laughs> this phone... It doesn't have a whole lot going on. It's one gig of RAM and eight gig of storage, so it's it's it reminds me of a smartphone phone you know many moons ago. But it's also eighty five dollars. So I mean we're getting to the point where that's a pretty you know for the money you're getting a full featured Android phone for whatever that's worth, and it's eighty five bucks. So that it, is that's hella cheap for what essentially is now as you said a stock Android phone with Nokia hardware, which isn't. I mean Nokia has made some really interesting. Uh, decisions in the past, uh, you know, namely when uh, Microsoft bought them and then sold them off again. And HMD now is manufacturing these phones under the Nokia brand. There's been some devices that have some really interesting design language to them, but by and large, they haven't actually been sold here in the United States. So it's only the overseas markets that have been seeing them. Now there is, uh, I hear tell that uh, Nokia phone might actually make its way to uh, US shore. So there's some some really cool stuff there if you are a stock Android enthusiast. Uh, we'd have to wait and see and get our hands on one and, and do a full review to see how well it performs in comparison with some of the other flagships. But, um, you know, could be good, could maybe just be a cheap Android phone. The The verdict was kind of out. I was talking to Sean Pete earlier today, and uh, one of the chaps over at Android Police said that um, might be better than you think, um, but there was still some... some bugs and, and glitchiness, especially in things like the stock Gmail app, which wasn't uh, super exciting to hear because they should be, those apps in particular should be optimized for both the Android One and the uh, Android Go program. So uh, jury's still out, but uh, could be interesting. At least it's something new. Yeah, whatever, man. Google apps are usually not optimized anyway. Oh, Open up the Play Store on even an S835 Plus phone and you can watch it drop frames like crazy. So hey, uh, there may be some work there. So what else did Nokia show? They announced uh, the Nokia 6 2018 edition. This has a 5.5-inch IPS LCD. It's an update to the phone from last year. I really like the design of this phone. It's got a, a really smooth... I don't really know how to describe it. It's a, it looks like it's an aluminum back, and then it has the anodized aluminum frame. It looks a little bit like the iPhone 4, actually, only thinner um, and taller. But uh, it's a good-looking phone, and it's running a Snapdragon 630, so it's kind of a, a mid-range device. Um, but... As I said, it's neat looking and relatively inexpensive. We, there really isn't an American equivalent of pricing, unfortunately. It's 279 uh, euros. But, uh, you know, I guess here that would translate, what, 300-ish dollars? Somewhere in that area? Yeah, like 325, 330. So that's quite a bit for the money. And then I think the most interesting phone for me is the Nokia 7 Plus, which is a 6-inch uh, uh, 18.9 display. And it has a Snapdragon 660 system on chip. So this is the higher end of kind of Qualcomm's mid-range offerings. Um, it's not as powerful necessarily as the, you know, 8 series, but it 
is based on the 14 nanometer process, and so it gets relatively good battery life. And it's a, I believe the 660 is a quad A73, quad A53 mm. uh, chip. So, you know, very very capable. Um, the design is really interesting too. They showed like a, it's it's black with like a copper frame. And it's layers of ceramic paint on top of aluminum, so it, it's pretty neat looking. It, it kind of it definitely stands out. It has these copper accents, which is not something I thought I would like, but when you see it in pictures, it's actually pretty neat looking. Uh, and then la- last but not least was their high end phone, which is the Nokia Eight Sirocco, um, which is a curved OLED device. I read that it's a POLED screen, so it's spec from uh, LG. Wait, 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 wait. Sirocco. No, no, you you did it once already. Damn it! I think we're at least too too many at this point. It seems very I don't know. It seems very like Moroccan feeling. That's what that's the vibe I get when I hear Nokia Eight Sirocco. It's kind of cool. It's kind of weird too because this is their flagship phone. I mean, as I said, it's got a curved OLED screen um, with that eighteen nine you know form factor, and as I said, it looks to be sourced from LG. Someone said I think it might have been Android Police that. The screen in the unit they saw had some of the blotchiness that we saw in early LG V30s, so we'll have to see if that plays out in production, but this is their flagship phone. Um, It has dual cameras on the back, but it has a relatively large dual camera enclosure that sticks out pretty far from the back, so it's funny. Out of their phones that they announced, this is the flagship one, but I much prefer the look of both the 7 Plus and the Nokia 6. I think the other issue with the Sirocco, besides the fact that it's not coming out in the United States, is I think I read the price was something like, I don't know, 799 euros or something very, very expensive. So yes. it's it's as expensive as the top end, well, any flagship. It's a you know pixel pricing, Samsung pricing. I, I don't know for me, it seems a step below those phones. So it seems a little bit braved to try to charge that kind of price for it. I don't know. What do you think? I agree. I think that I, th- I think that it is overpriced, especially considering what you're getting. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know what Nokia's marketing strategy is for overseas markets. You know, most of these phones, if not all of them, are not going to be coming to the United States. And I don't know, comparatively speaking, what you're going to get for 799 euros in its in its weight class. Let's say. Um, and the early reviews that I saw, uh, most notably uh, Michael Fisher, the Mr. Mobile, uh, were not 100% complimentary of the phone. So uh, for me, it would kind of be a hard pass, but I think maybe much like Motorola here in the United States, because of their mid-range devices could potentially be so good, I think that would be kind of the best bang for your buck. So um, yeah, I agree. Maybe like the 7 Plus might be more interesting to me than than this uh, Nokia 8 Sirocco, other than the fact that I, I really like saying the word Sirocco, uh, but I would I would probably not buy the phone. Yeah, and the other kind of weird thing about it is that it uh, has a Snapdragon 835, which is last year's last flagship year. chip, so and it has 6 gig of RAM, so it's right where it should be, but it's kind of weird to, this is the same issue that LG ran into last year, which is you're releasing a flagship phone at a flagship price that has last year's processor and isn't quite up to par with the other phones that are being announced at the same time. So if this was $500, I think I would go, wow, that's a great deal. Like stock Android, that thing's going to be blazing fast. Awesome. But if we're in the 750 plus range, you're, you're up against everyone at that point. It, I don't know. It doesn't stand out to me. I agree. I agree. And it was kind of like what LG did with the G6 uh, last year, basically releasing it so early in the year that they could only get a hold of the Snapdragon 821 instead of the 835, which is already earmarked for Samsung. 
And speaking of LG, insert segue here. What did we uh, What did we get from them? So LG, they're going through kind of a weird like period. Their phone division keeps losing money. Uh, even though we felt like their phones last year were a definite improvement, the market didn't seem to follow as far as sales are concerned. So, For sure. Uh, there was rumors that they had a G7 that they were going to announce at Mobile World Congress and then scrapped shortly beforehand and went back to the drawing board. Oddly enough, uh, EV Leaks, so Evan Blass, um, posted something today on Twitter that had a basically an LG G7 display unit at... I was unclear if it was like the Israeli version of Mobile World Congress or if it was at a booth at Mobile World Congress. I was unsure which, but... Yeah, I didn't get it, that either. It was an Israeli news site, and they they had a full working LG G7. I mean, it was on display. It had the placard and everything. And this... it It looked very much like a iPhone 10. It was a 6.2-inch um, screen. It had the notch, just like the iPhone X. Um, Snapdragon 845, 4 gig of RAM, you know, all kind of the flagship specs, dual cameras on the back, but the whole the whole deal. Um, but by all accounts, that phone's been, I, I guess it's been canceled, so it's weird. Now, in its place, the actual official announcement that we got from LG was the LG V30S ThinQ, which... I don't know if it's the worst name in mobile history, but it has to be up there somewhere near the top. It's pretty close. And here's the thing that I don't get. Uh, we saw this with the CES announcements from LG because they built in this uh, artificial intelligence into a lot of their other Internet of Things, you know, smart home stuff like TVs and stuff like that. My thought is that they meant for it to be the word think. T-H-I-N-Q, like think. Like yeah, the you're Q right. That is, is what they were okay. But think. every yeah. single yeah. person and every single media outlet that I've heard and seen and read and heard and seen and read is that they're pronouncing it Thin Q, which makes yeah. zero sense to me whatsoever. And I get it that the Q is capitalized, and so maybe that that's what they think is like it's two separate words, even though it's combined together. But... I think they're trying to go for the artificial intelligence part of think and then spelling it with a Q is kind of, you know, cute and interesting and whatever, but no one has gotten it so far. No one. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest. I've read that a a few times and paid no attention to it. And now it's clearly obvious that you pointed it out. I think the reason that I didn't notice is because I don't care about this phone. (laughs) And, 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 and here's, here's the reason why I don't care about this phone. We released, we we reviewed. Tell me how you really feel. The V30 and gave it a very complimentary review. It's a very nice phone. I still feel that way. I think it's an underrated phone. But, you know, they canceled the G7 and said, hey, we better release something. So they basically took the same phone and they're trying to make it into something new. And it's not. I mean, they're offering two more gig of RAM, which was something they were already offering overseas. So it went from four to six. They're offering up to 265 gigabytes of storage. It's basically 128, 256 instead of 64, 128. And then they're offering it in colors that were kind of available overseas, but they never released here to begin with. And then this whole AI component, which I read you know, some editorial today of like, everyone's talking about their AI, and this is just a bunch of crap to me. This is the same Snapdragon 835 we had before. Maybe they actually have some machine learning. Apparently, it helps it with, like, lower light pictures or whatever. The only person so far that I've seen use any kind of machine learning to any meaningful extent in a phone is Google with their camera app. Everyone else, this is just a buzzword where it's not doing anything so far as I can tell. So, to me, 
LG said, eh, we got to release something. We're going to do a mild update and then release this this new version and try to make people care. But they already didn't care about the V30 as evidenced by the sales. I don't know anyone that cares about this phone. And they're still pricing it at the high end of the spectrum when newer devices with better specs and better kind of everything are being released. So whatever, big shrug. The biggest and best editorial that I read so far was from um, Vlad Savov of The Verge, who basically savagely tore apart the V30S thin Q as uh, basically uh, LG waited, you know, how many, like five months to basically release a phone that is a, that is effectively a software update. And it was like complete fail. And that's what it feels like. It's the V30 Plus with two different storage SKUs and a couple of mm, cheesy, maybe not cheesy AI features baked in. But it is not a new phone in any way, shape, or form. It is the V30 that was released last year with upgraded solid state storage and quite possibly literally nothing else that anyone will use. No one uses Bixby. No one's going to use LG's AI. They're going to try and find a way to, how quickly can I enable the Google Assistant on this device and can I squeeze it? Like those are the things that are going to come up. And beyond that, if you were going to buy a V30, maybe you'll buy the V30S now because that's what's available and maybe it comes in a blue color that you like. But if you weren't going to buy a V30, nothing that LG did is going to convince you otherwise to buy it. And look, I know no one wants to do this because it it brings down the kind of perceived value of your phone. But if they'd come out and said the 128 version is 499 bucks and the 100 and the 256 gig version is, you know, 599 dollars, fine. Okay, you're getting a phone that's not quite flagship, but it's still an excellent device in its own right, and the price is right. But at whatever prices they're trying to charge for this, the 800 dollar price point. Why would I do this when I can buy, and we'll discuss this, a Galaxy S9 for a starting price of $720? Why? Like, who? Who's who's the market? No, no one is the answer. And LG has suffered from this the last couple of cycles. And it could be one of the reasons why, A, they decided to scrap their uh, you know G7 project. And also, it could be the reason why they're hemorrhaging cash is... They're, they're not, the timing is not good. And listen, I still have the V30 Plus uh, in a desk drawer somewhere um, because uh, LG hasn't asked for it back. And I think that tells me a lot about where they are with their devices. And, uh, you know, I wish for better for them because they have made some really good hardware the last couple of years. And this just isn't a way to get people to be interested in your brand. I it's love the V30. Not. I just don't love the V30 for $800 this year. Yeah. Now. Agreed. Agreed. All so right. who, who else did we see? Let's uh, let's start. We talked about Vivo. We talked about Nokia. We talked about LGZ. Let's talk about Sony. What did Sony actually had some pretty interesting stuff? Tell me about the XZ2 and the XZ2 Compact. Yeah, so Sony released two phones, and to their credit, I have I have to give credit some props here. They're one of the only phone makers left that are still making a small form factor phone with premium specs. Their Compact series, um, yeah, and and they're. Like, at this point, they're pretty much the only game in town. Even the Essential, I was looking at a size comparison. The Essential's quite a bit bigger than this phone, mm. which is saying something because I feel like the Essential's tiny, a nice, tiny size. Super but, tiny. Um, the XC2 Compact is a 5-inch, 2160 by 1080 screen. So before the Compact series, it had always been 720p, and they went to a 1080p screen, which is nice, nice upgrade. Um, it's got the Snapdragon 845. Um we have, as far as RAM is concerned, I believe it's 4 gig of RAM, 64 gigabytes of storage. It has an SD card slot. 
battery is 2870 mAh. Um, it has a 19 megapixel rear camera, and it, you know, the design language has changed. Um, Sony been using this like omni balanced design language since 2013 with really squared off, squared off look, and they've switched this year to something that's more akin. When I first saw the pictures of the phone, it, it reminds me a little bit of the. Uh, uh, U11, the I would HTC. say an HTC yeah. design in some ways. So they finally, it still has more bezels than other contemporaries. It's 76% uh, screen to body ratio, so it's more akin to like a Pixel 2 XL. So it's not quite as uh, bezel free as some of the newer designs, but I still think it looks good. Um, IP68, water and dust resistant, comes in four colors. Um, you know, pretty pretty neat. And then the larger of the two is the Sony Xperia, Sony Xperia XZ2, so the non-compact. It's got a 5.7-inch 2160x1080p uh, LCD screen. Um, same thing, Snapdragon 845. This one has 6 gigabytes of RAM, 64 gigabytes of storage, plus micro SD, a 3180 mAh battery, um, same 19-megapixel camera on the back. And it's... I, I like the way they look. Uh, you know... It, Sony has a good reputation for a bunch of things. One thing Sony does really well is they run a near-stock Android that has excellent performance. Last year, I watched speed comparisons with the XZ Premium, and it would keep up with phones with 6 or 8 gig of RAM with relative ease because of whatever Sony's doing as far as optimization is concerned. Where Sony has struggled is they can't seem to get the phones in front of a U.S. audience. No carriers carry it. Nope. Um, historically, they've been expensive, and this isn't solved here. This phone's expensive. And they have those huge bezels, and their phones look outdated. I would say this addresses most of those issues. I like the design. I will say these phones are uh, on the thicker side. Um, the compact is 12 millimeters thick and the XZ2 main one is 11 millimeters thick, which that's like taking it back. We haven't had phones that thick in a few generations. Now again, I mean, we're talking millimeters here, so maybe in hand it won't be that big of a deal, but compared to some of their Svelter contemporaries, it's odd that they're that thick despite having batteries that are relatively normal size. Um, I still want to get one in hand, though, because I I like what they did overall. I don't know. The phones look nice to me, but it's going to be the same problem. Unless they can get them on carriers or really get them released in the United States, no one's buying $800 unlocked phones from Amazon. No, they're not. And uh, I'm actually really disappointed that Sony finally made a change from their Omnibox design to something that actually looks good. Because if they had released a very similar phone, I would have been able to use my Sony, Sony, Sony has done it again joke, which uh, I'm not going to be able to use now. So um, as I said, very disappointed I can't use that. Um, I like these Sony phones. I do. Other than the fact that the fingerprint scanner is like dead center of the back, which is in a really awkward and weird place for me. Um, cause the camera module is kind of low. Like it just, it's, it's kind of in a weird and awkward place. I guess I'm used to the pixels, uh, configuration where it's a little bit higher up on the back and the cameras in the original pixel is horizontally, uh, and in the new Pixel, for that matter, the camera's horizontally aligned. So anytime that a stack with camera and flash is vertically aligned, you're going to lose a little bit of that space, especially if it's centered and not off-center like the iPhone X, for example. Um, so maybe if you grip your phone sideways, maybe the fingerprint scanner is going to be in a better spot for you, and you can still reach it from left-handed, right-handed, whatever. But I agree. I think they, they look nice. The 18 by 9 aspect ratio is kind of a cool thing. Um, their cameras kind of have traditionally sucked a little bit, which is odd because... They make one of the best mirrorless cameras in the business. The uh, A7R three is like ridiculous. It's a like a thirty five hundred dollar camera that people love to use because it's such a great camera, 
And uh, Sony's mobile phone cameras have kind of been not fantastic. Which is amazing because you know who makes all the sensors for all of the really good camera phones? That's Sony, right? That's It's been the biz- most bizarre thing ever. Your Pixel 2, which has XL, which has the best camera kind of available right now, uses a Sony sensor. So, you know, it, it just comes down to processing. But I actually have, you know, again, unfortunately last year the XC Premium was one of the few phones we didn't get a chance to use. But I had heard that the overall the camera was a massive improvement and was kind of in that not quite top tier but just underneath and definitely in the mostly good enough except for an extreme low light condition hmm. area. So That would be good for Sony. I think they've gotten a lot better. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know. I like what I saw Kellen on Droid Life. Uh, I think it was Kellen wrote an editorial. I'm like, oh yeah, I really like the new design. And in the comments, all the readers were like, yeah, we don't, we think it looks like shit. So I, <laughs> you know, I felt bad for him. He got ambushed. Kellen, I'm actually on your side. I think these phones look a lot better. I agree. I think they are definitely uh, an improvement. Uh, it's not a, a square slab, you know, it's, it's not a square slab in as unapologetically premium a way as the essential phone is. They were just mostly like, hey, we're, we're square because this is the same phone we've been making for six years. But the new devices have um, a little bit more joie de vivre to them. And uh, they have a working fingerprint scanner that could work here in the United States. So that's always a bonus. And um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't know if we're going to get an opportunity to review a Sony phone, but I uh, sure would love to. I'll yeah, say that. I would love to get my hands on one too. This is the first Sony phone that I've been like, wow, that's really nice in quite some time. So... Yeah, not bad. Any other OEMs left to cover yeah, before we move to... Uh, let's do one more before we move on to Samsung. Oh, yes, yes, my bad. I forgot the about Asus, Asus Zenfone 5. You mean the iPhone 10? So, Wait, no, sorry. Fruit Phone 10. So Droid Life, again, I think this is a shout out to Kellen, wrote an editorial today of like... If I want an iPhone X, I'll just freaking buy Buy an iPhone X. But otherwise, why are we all copying the ugly design choice that Apple went with? And I'm kind of with them on this one. So the Zenfone 5, Asus basically said, you know what? Screw it. We're not making any headway into the market, so we'll just shamelessly copy the iPhone X. Can't beat them, join them. Which, like, is not a terrible strategy, all things considered. But, I mean, one of those absurd slides I think I saw at the entire thing was the them comparing their notch to the fruit phone and saying that our notch is smaller. I mean, this actually happened in a presentation at the Asus uh, portion of MWC. They had a slide up in front of media and other press saying we are comparing our phone to, and I quote, fruit phone X. It's like reverse penis envy too of like, <laughs> oh, mine's smaller than yours. It's like, come on, is this actually happening right now? And it did actually happen. Um, now, beyond the actual shameless, you know, steal uh, of the look, the phone itself is fairly interesting. It's a 19-9 aspect ratio and it has a 6.2 inch LCD, 2246 by 1080, which is an interesting resolution. Um, and the design is fine. The only other thing that I kind of am balking at is that all of the freaking OEMs that are copying the damn notch. So, so far we've seen Asus, LG, and we've seen, uh, Huawei with their P20 and P20 plus leaks steal the notch, but they stole the notch and they have a a bottom bezel that's like sizable ish, which doesn't really work that well. Like essential was cool because it had the, it was a more, I don't know, circular, notch if you will and then it had the bottom bezel but it was the first to do it it was something new and fresh these guys just have like the me too but it was we couldn't do it quite as well so it looks like a cut 
you know, cut rate copy. Um, but you know, the prices, I will say this, there's the, there's the Zenfone 5, which I don't care about because it's like the little poverty one, but there's the Zenfone 5Z, which has a Snapdragon 845 and uh, 64 gig of storage, and I think it has 8 gigabytes of RAM and up to 256 gig of storage if you want it. Dang. And you can get it for as low as $499. So what I will say is Boom. this. Um, while I think the design, as I said, is just a freaking lazy copy, my God. I mean, they're not even trying. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. And while the My Notch is smaller argument is one of the most ridiculous I've seen in mobile land in quite some time, I will say getting a Snapdragon 845 phone with all of that for $499, eh, not, not so bad. Could be a steal, actually. <laughs> not so bad. I don't know if anybody even knows uh, of Asus here in the U.S. market, but... That's a uh, that's a pretty big deal, and uh, again, shameless ripoffs notwithstanding, it's uh, it's definitely an accomplishment. Uh, you know, flagship type specs for that price, we're we're approaching uh, you know like OnePlus territory basically, which is uh, probably the only thing that would be a competitor in this space. And the rumor was the OnePlus Six was also going to have uh, this notch style design too, right? Uh, yeah, we saw another alleged prototype of the OnePlus Six coming out that also has a notch. So, for those of you keeping score at home, that would mean every single OEM except for Samsung and Sony decided, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to put a notch in our phone now. We need to burn in the fires of Gehenna, you mean? Because this is a hideous design choice? Yeah, but like, man, when Vivo and Xiaomi are making the phones where I go, hey, those are really like neat looking designs and everyone else is busy, busy building a widow's peak into their phone, I, I don't know. I'm out. I'm outro. I think that basically sums up this segment. I think I'm out. Yep, I agree. There and Here will endeth uh, part one of the Mobile World Congress recap. Stay tuned for part two, where we will discuss the Samsung Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus announcements more in depth. But uh, thanks for listening, and we will talk tech soon. And we are in part two of the Mobile World Congress 2018 recap show. This part two segment will be entirely about the Samsung Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus announcement. Let's run down the specs really quick and then we'll talk a little bit about what we like and what we don't like and how we think Samsung did with their latest um, first half of the year flagship devices. So let's uh, let's talk specs, Sean. What did we get with the S9 and S9 Plus? So these phones were two of the most leaked phones in recent memory, I think. Between EV leaks and some other people, we basically saw everything you could possibly want to know about the phone well before it released. But what we have are two phones that are very similar to kind of what we had last year. So the Galaxy S9 is a 5.8 inch QHD um, 2960 by 1440p screen. Uh, it has 4GB of RAM like last year. It has a single camera, which is 12 megapixel, but Samsung's done something interesting this year on the camera. It has a mechanically variable aperture, so it can switch from 1.5 to 2.4. This is a first in smartphones, although I did read somewhere that Nokia apparently a million years ago and some flip phone did this. Um, I think I read that too, actually. Yeah, so the aperture is kind of a aperture switch is kind of an interesting thing because in theory, in low light, it should be able to give you better low light performance um, while also maintaining better performance and better light just by switching this aperture, which it does automatically. Um, as far as other specs are concerned, uh, we have a 64 gigabytes of memory and a micro SD card slot. It has a 3000 mAh battery. The processor is either a Snapdragon 845 or an Exynos 9810, depending on the region. 
Um, they moved the fingerprint scanner underneath the uh, camera this time. Thank you, Lord. Which was probably the biggest complaint by everyone about the design last year. It's still kind of that weird pill shape, which I'm not sure why they continue to stick with it, but it's at least in a better spot. So I'll give them that. Um, it still has uh, IP68, um, fast wireless charging, uh, MST, so you can, you know, pay with your phone without necessarily having to have NFC, which is really handy. Samsung Pay. So, you know, again, from the standpoint of specs, it has basically everything. Um, the S9 Plus takes it a step further. We have a 6.2-inch quad HD, um, again, 2960 by 1440p screen. Um, we have dual cameras, just like the Galaxy Note 8. So we have the same 12-megapixel primary shooter that can switch between an f2 1.5 and 2.4 aperture, and then we have a telephoto lens with a 2, f2.4 aperture, again, 12 megapixels with OIS. Um, same processors. This one steps up to 6 gigabytes of RAM. We have a 3,500 mAh battery, so same as last year, but definitely larger than the smaller variant. Um, and, you know, it has everything. Iris scanner, fingerprint scanner below the camera again, uh, fast wireless charging, IP68, SD card support. As far as specs, no one probably has the full, you know, gambit of specs that Samsung covers. I think that's one of the strengths of their phones. They throw um, a lot into their phones, including the Note 8, which literally had every spec you could think of crammed into the phone last year. Yeah, pretty much. They're pretty good about that. So, so... The design is very similar. Uh, they slightly reduced the bottom bezel, but it's so slight you can hardly tell. And they flattened out the curve from last year's phone so that it's a little uh, more square like the Note is, which I actually prefer. It gives you kind of more usable space before the curve. As do I. Love it. So, And perhaps the best surprise is that everyone expected them to raise the price. There was rumors coming out before the uh, announcement that you know the phones were going to cost like $1,000. Uh, and I was kind of reading this going, you know, we've the last couple Samsung announcements, we've had this thing where it's like, holy shit, these phones are getting so expensive. And we have the inevitable Sean P. rant of I'm not paying that much for the Samsung phone right before I buy it. Uh. Um, but they didn't do that this year. The Galaxy S9 retails from Samsung directly for $720. And the S9 Plus is $840. So these are still expensive phones. But when you're looking in the premium segment... I actually would go so far as to say these prices are eminently reasonable for what you're getting. For, yes, in, in terms of its value proposition, I, I tend to agree. That doesn't mean that they're not expensive, but you are at least getting a significant value for what you're paying. $720 for a flagship phone, the Galaxy S9, with all of that in it, I think is actually a quite a good deal if you're looking for a new good phone but to me the the biggest difference becomes the discrepancy now between the two business segments the s9 uh has a couple of significant shortcomings it has two gigs less of ram it has a single camera instead of the dual camera now it does have the variable aperture still so that notwithstanding and it does have a diminished battery capacity so the the cheapness of the price and the term of flagship is probably where we're going to have a philosophical difference because to me now the S9 is no longer a flagship device. And for me, that makes it slightly uh, over or correctly priced, slightly overpriced or correctly okay. priced. Let's let's play this game. How many, how many rear cameras does your Pixel 2 XL have? Five. Lies. <laughs> how many gigabytes of RAM does your Pixel 2 XL have? Four. Is it not flagship? It is the top-end phone that Google releases. This is not the top-end phone that Samsung is releasing. 
That doesn't make it a flagship. That doesn't make it not a flagship. But it doesn't make it a flagship either. I think you could have this argument, but again, the Sony phones that we just lauded in the last you know, segment, they have four gigabytes of RAM. So yes, I would say in comparison, sure. It's not, it may be not as quote unquote good, but just because, just because a Ferrari, you know, 488 isn't as fast as a law Ferrari doesn't mean it's not a flagship car. So right now, actually what I heard was wah, 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 Look, I'm saying... And that was mostly about so, the Ferrari oh, Okay, business. I will say this. I hate the bullshit that these OEMs are doing, and Apple's now part of this, and Samsung is too, and good for Sony for not doing this. The small and large phone should be the same, or damn close. And I don't like that they aren't doing that. Now, I'm sure Samsung would probably tell you, oh, we couldn't fit two cameras in the smaller one or whatever else, but we've seen people fit two cameras in the smaller phone, so surely it can be done. If anyone could do it, Samsung could do it. And the difference in between the size of two gigabyte extra RAM is like nothing. We're talking literally nothing in the thing, so it strictly is a matter of cost. So from that perspective, I do think it's kind of lame that they don't do it, but I will say in the land of very expensive flagship phones, like 720 bucks just is not that bad for everything that that phone's bringing to the table because... Again, your phone has one camera. I would argue the telephoto, my Note 8, I, I, I never use it. Not as useful. I, I barely use it. it the, the picture quality is inferior to the main camera, so much so that I'm like, the bokeh effect, I don't give a shit. I, I prefer the superior quality of the main shooter, and I suspect that, all things considered, that's really not going to be that much of a downgrade unless you really have to have that blurring effect, which your phone accomplishes with yeah, software anyway. Purely software. So, you know, I, I don't know. So again, I would say the most pleasant surprise is that the price stayed the same. I don't like that we have two different SKUs, and I'm going to sound like just a spoiled ass, but the phone brings, you know, after I'm just telling you how the phone brings like everything to the table and it's so great, I was so bored during the announcement. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. Samsung last year kind of really pushed the new design envelope, and we got this cool design that, you know, this this near bezel-less design, and this year the phone looks... Visually indistinguishable from the front, even for someone like us who has way too much time on their hands and actually looks for small differences. And on the back, the only way you can really tell is the dual cameras on the bigger one and the fact that the camera or the fingerprint sensor is now under the camera, right? So yep. Yep. It, it's yep. one of those things where it's still a fine design, but it's a little bit disappointing that Samsung didn't push it more because as we discussed again in the last segment, we have OEMs like Vivo and Xiaomi doing some really neat stuff with design. And... Samsung feels like had an opportunity here to really push forward and didn't. Now, Ruddick wrote an editorial basically saying the same thing. I'm bored of tears out of this phone. They played it safe and they did it on purpose because they sell infinitely more units than anyone else. And for anyone shopping, these phones are going to be right near the top of the Android list because, again, they don't do anything poorly. But his, his kind of conjecture is they have something big coming. Whether that means the Note 9 will be a kind of a redesign or it means the rumored Galaxy X foldable phone will be their next big thing, I don't know. But I just have to say, there really isn't anything compelling. You know, last year when these phones were announced, I remember driving out to Best Buy like day one because I wanted to see them in person. This year it was like, yeah, I'll see them eventually because I've seen it. I've, I owned a Galaxy S8 Plus. I own a Note 8. They're not different enough to be anything exciting. So they're going to sell more than anyone else. I think Samsung still is making the most well-rounded phones on the planet right now. And I think not raising the price is great. Um, so they did a lot of great things, but I'm still bored. 
And I agree on a lot of points. I think that you could say for sure that the S9 is a good value proposition for what you're receiving for it, flagship or not flagship notwithstanding. And I think that they, that there is a certain right for some consumers to expect a little bit more from Samsung. So we went from an era of the Galaxy S5, um, which was really awkward and weird and, and the last dead step of Samsung in a specific direction, to the S6 and the S6 Edge, which moved their design language forward quite a bit. And then they iterated on that and, and kind of perfected that version of the design in the S7 and the S7 Plus, which were superb phones and gave you an option between uh, kind of a flat display and then this new curved display. And then the S8 moved that even further by making both of them the curve edge displays, but then really moving to that 18 by 9 aspect ratio, getting rid of the capacitive home button at the bottom and, and really shaking things up again. So we went through you know, from the five to the six to six to the seven and seven to the eight, basically three consecutive significant design language changes. And then to get the S9 and the S9 Plus, which are really the kind of the S variant of an Apple iPhone product is a little disappointing. It's somewhat disappointing. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm right there with you. But it's like a weird thing. I'm disappointed, but in the same breath, if someone asked me what Android phone should I buy, I would recommend yeah, it like simple. nine out of 10 times. So it's, it's one of those weird things where it's like, you know, again, what a spoiled pain in the ass I am. Also, another thing of note, and I just want to throw this out there for anyone that's listening, the price we quoted from Samsung, which was unlocked, is the Galaxy S9 is 720 the S9 Plus is 840 T-Mobile's matched those prices. They're the same. All the other OEMs, because they're a bunch of soulless pricks, have all raised the price varying amounts. So we have uh, AT&T, which is at 790 we have Sprint, which is at 792 and 912, which is super rich because Sprint's network is made of cans and string, and they have no right to charge <laughs> anyone a cent more than what Samsung is. It's they should actually be offering the phones cheaper than what Samsung's offering them. If you could get the S9 for 699 and the S9 Plus for 799, they'd be doing good. Unreal. And then Verizon, who there's a special place in hell for because they're a bunch of solas. Devils, Harpies. soulless um, devils. The S9 starts at $800, so markup of 80 bucks, and the S9 Plus is $930, which Installing is all that bloatware on your phone ain't cheap. They got to pay somebody to do a it. A $90 up. So if you can, don't buy it from these freaking retailers. Buy it direct from Samsung, um, or I think even Best Buy probably has it at the lower price. You can, I think, even finance through Samsung. So even if you're one of those people that wants to pay it in payments, they give you the option to do it. Don't buy from AT&T, Sprint, or Verizon. It's bullshit what they're doing. They're overcharging you, and they're corporate hacks. They totally are. I agree. And I, I think kind of to circle back on the Samsung wagon, I think we're at a point now where Samsung has kind of become the de facto Apple OEM for Android devices. Like they're in a space where they do have probably some significant design language changes coming. They knew that they couldn't get the clear ID thing from Synaptics in time because the S9 was probably already in production or pre-production at the very least. It may come out in the Note 9. We'll have to wait and see. But they really couldn't do much because they're waiting for this developmental cycle to get to a point where they can incorporate more of this new technology. And so they're basically like, yeah, here's, uh, here's our S9 and S9 Plus. They look a lot like last year. We heard you. We moved the freaking fingerprint scanners. Get off our back about it. And uh, here's some crazy stuff with the camera and uh, two different sizes. And there's some you know design element changes there. But uh, yeah, here's your phones. 
thanks very much. Give us your money. Have a nice day. And that's kind of how Apple had done it with the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. Like, hey, here's our great new cool technology, which from Samsung will be coming out later on in the year. And uh, yeah, here's the 8 and 8 Plus, and they look identical to the 6 and 6 Plus from four years ago. And that's that's kind of where Samsung to me is at. They're at a point where they think they can release an iterative update to the phone with, you know, relatively enough upgrades to make it worth upgrading, so to speak. But I think that them not really raising the price substantially, uh, if at all, actually, I think because what do we talk about like 10 bucks? I think it's actually like that? less okay. in some cases. So, and I agree, this is the best Android phone out overall as far as right this minute in time. And I would recommend it to everyone. So, I mean, it's, again, one of those weird things where it's like, it's great, but I know what you mean. It's hard not to be disappointed, and I'm going to delve into complete nerd territory here, so indulge me. One of the things that I was most looking forward to is Samsung has developed their own ship, the Exynos 9810. Over the last few years, Apple has skull-thumped Qualcomm in CPU power because they've moved to, and this gets in real technical terms, but CPUs that have wider instruction sets. So that's why you see the single core scores for iPhones are like 4,000, whereas Android phones have hovered between, you know, 1,800 and and we're up to, I think, like 2,600 with the Snapdragon 845. But there was a big, a large gap in performance there. Um, And Samsung this time with the Exynos, created an ultra-wide chip. They actually moved to something way more akin to the architecture that Apple does. And I was really excited to see what they were going to do with that because we have four of those big cores and then we had four small cores. And, you know, power consumption concerns aside, like, it should be amazing as far as performance is concerned. And we saw... Geekbench results that leaked out, as I just alluded to earlier, the Snapdragon 845 and single core is like 2600, and the Exynos was more around 3600 to 3700. So closer to Apple and about 50% better than Qualcomm. Real computational power. Yeah, so I was really going, wow, this could be this could be something where Samsung really can differentiate themselves. But um, Andreef is his username. He works for a Nantech. I think it's Andre F is his actual name, and he's kind of the de facto expert on this did some preliminary testing, and it was disappointing, to say the least. In Geekbench, the scores are still way above the Snapdragon 845, but when he started doing web tests and some other things, the chip was literally struggling to keep up with the Exynos 8895 from last year, which makes no sense. I mean, architecturally, this is a quantum leap forward, and there's really no reason that that should be the case. Um, The conjecture is they just have used a really conservative scheduler, so it's only using the low-power cores for some of those tests. Mm -hmm. But what's the point of building, again, it would be like having a Ferrari, like I said in the last segment, and then putting a speed limiter on it of 65 miles an hour. It's like there's no real point in doing that. So it was pre-production software, and we'll see if maybe they fix this before production. There's some speculation that there was no way to equalize performance between the two architectures. Usually the Snapdragon and the Exynos have been a little bit closer in recent generations, but there's some conjecture they were far enough apart that they had to really, for lack of a better term, retard the performance on the you know on the 9810 in order to make them relatively equivalent. And so we'll see if this gets addressed. But that was something I was really looking forward to. That now it's kind of like oh that's a real bummer. Um, it looks like it's no. Even though they went through all of this trouble to build this new architecture and put this ultra wide chip together, 
so far, it looks like they haven't been able to really turn that into a tangible benefit. Which is a bummer because uh, the performance of the Exynos chips uh, in their octa-core forms has been kind of one of the leading reasons why you might want to buy an international variant of the phone. And it's, uh, it is puzzling and it is very, very unique and definitely something that we'll want to keep our eyes on. And as we exit the inside baseball portion of the podcast, all I can say is this, in terms of GPU performance, the Adreno chip that's mated with the Snapdragon 845 uh, usually destroys the Exynos variant with the Malik chip, correct? Uh, it's not It's not close. From an efficiency and power standpoint, Qualcomm's in a league of their own with Android OEMs and even is ahead of Apple. Um, when Enantech did the testing on the Snapdragon 845, it's something like, you know, they do a measure of the amount of frames per second divided by power and they get a watt number and it's like three watts for the Adreno, where I think for the Molly equivalent, it's like seven watts. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about exponentially better efficiency and you know the molly um in the new uh excuse me my brain just went numb and the new exynos 9810 is the new g72 architecture but it's 18 cores as opposed to the 20 core from last year and the clock speed when he tested it was actually they were expecting it to be somewhere in the 700 range and it was closer to the 575 range mm. so when he tested the gpu performance it was literally about the equivalent to last year's model which again is strange like i didn't expect it to catch up with the adreno um, from an efficiency standpoint, but last year the strategy was they had 20 cores and they clocked it up pretty high and it could relatively match the Adreno in performance, just not efficiency. But this year it's like they said, eh, screw it, the GPU is powerful enough, so we're not even gonna we're not even gonna go there. Um, and they it looks like they did most of the work on the CPU side, only to then kind of, I don't know, make the performance not what it should be. It. it I hope they fix it because that would be exciting. I would love to see someone actually have a chip that kind of takes on Apple. They did all the legwork for it and then put a governor on it that doesn't utilize the power. It's kind of bizarre. And that doesn't really need to be there. But the the bigger problem, I think, to me is that if Samsung's making multiple SKUs with the Exynos variant for overseas and the Snapdragon 845 variant for mostly U.S. markets and the 845 at least equals the performance of the 9810 and or uh, is the 9810 what did I say 9810X and those chip um, and the performance in the Adreno chip for the Snapdragon 845 is definitely going to outperform the Mali T variant then I don't you know I don't really know I mean to me that seems like a, a very poor situation for Samsung to be in is go hey uh, all of our US markets are going to get this great uh, performing device and uh, everybody else yeah you can just suck it up and live with what we've got because we're trying something new and you're basically going to be our first gen guinea pigs and it's even weirder than that because architecturally like there is no really there's no way really way to sugarcoat this from a CPU standpoint the the new M3 core in the 9810 should beat the crap out of the A75 core in the in the uh, Snapdragon 845. I mean, it, it shouldn't be close. Now, there's an efficiency trade-off for that. It takes a lot more power to have these ultra-wide cores, and that may be why we see that Samsung has done what they've done in order to keep the power anywhere close. They have to fall back to those lower cores. But if they did that... They, sh- you know, if they were going to go that route, they should have done what Apple done: two large cores and four small ones. Yeah. If you did four large and four small, and you created these bitching cores, but they eat so much power that you can't wrap them up, there's, 
there's no point in having it. Yeah. Well, and you can take the instruction sets and then with more smaller cores, you can redistribute that workload a little bit more evenly and then get something that approaches the equivalent of the two higher end cores. Uh, and you might be able to find a nice balance between processing power and power efficiency, but uh, yeah, puzzling to say the least what Samsung has done. And I wanted to make a, so what you're saying is, is that for battery performance, they decided to throttle their phones, but they weren't going to tell anybody about it. Well, I don't think it's not that they're even going to tell anybody about it. If you're an end user, insert you, blatant Apple joke here. No, you may just never notice. I mean, it falls back to the A55 cores. And for most of what you're doing, that may be fine, but Yes, it is a little bit like, yeah, it's like, hey, we built a Bugatti, but it sucks gas down so much. So out of the 16 cylinders, we just, we cut 12 off. You yeah. Run four you know, all the you're running a four so it's like, Have fun. Yeah, great. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what the point of that is. So as I said, maybe they'll fix this. Maybe we'll see. But yeah, that was another disappointment for me where I, and, and this is strictly the, in the nerd category, but I think a lot of us were looking forward to finally someone who's really going to take on Apple. And then to see the initial results was kind of like... Ah, damn it. And I think that the to kind of circle back to the pricing point, I think for me the the biggest admission on Samsung's part that they know that this isn't exactly what they want it to be is they didn't raise the price. Because I absolutely believe that if they thought they were thumping out a superior product, as they have done basically every year since the beginning of the Galaxy S line, that they would raise the prices on it. And they didn't. No, I totally agree. I don't think for one second, Apple's selling phones at $1,000. Samsung is the Android Apple. If they thought that they could, they would have. For sure. But if they tried to release the S9 Plus and charged a grand for it, we would be t- saying they're high off their ass and yeah. you know and they would be because it's just too damn similar you would see the S8 plus next to it and go i ain't paying that and yeah. you'd, and you'd be smart so i think their strategy is sound and as i said they make great phones they're super well rounded there really isn't a whole lot to complain about they're checking all of the boxes i even think it's a good value at this point but it's just one of those things where i can't help but feel a little bit bored and i hope they do something more daring with the Note 9, or they do release the Galaxy S foldable phone, something this year, just so we have something different. I just want to see something different from them. Um, and I think we will. I mean, I think, like we said, even with our approach to how Samsung innovates, because they've been constantly pushing the envelope, throwing everything under the sun into their phones, trying to squeeze as much battery into their devices, even if it meant that they ultimately might explode and they might have to recall them. They've, they've been on really the bleeding edge of the technology, and this year they're not. And so much like we criticize Apple for, they are receiving that same kind of criticism in an ironic kind of way. I'm still going to disagree with you. They are. Newest processor. Screen that just, again, is the display made best screen that's built. Yawn their, emoji. Their camera is this new dual aperture, which no one's ever done before. And they were already they already make really good cameras. Wireless charging, IP68, all you know, everything that they do, they still are ahead. The only area that they're not ahead is the form factor is very similar. So I would say they're still on the bleeding edge. It's just, as with everything else, it's slowed down a lot. And the fact that it looks the same diminishes a lot of it just diminishes a lot of things if you make a car a new generation of car and everything under the hood is brand new interior is awesome but it looks the same on the outside there's just a human thing where you go i'm bored yeah and and that's kind of what i feel like we're running into it's not that they're not bleeding edge they're still ahead of their contemporaries in the overall picture of what they're providing 
It just eh. is, it just looks the same. Eh. I think that we're going to find that there are a lot of phones that have the Snapdragon 845 this year. We're going to find a lot of phones that have IP68 that are going to have a lot of these things. Now, you might have a point with the camera. Like, I think the variable aperture thing could be a gimmick or it could be really awesome. And that's something where they've innovated. But it's something so small that it really... It isn't going to wow and impress, I think, a lot of people. Kind of like you've said, the the form factor is the, the same so much that e- even though some of the technologies may be new, they're not necessarily bleeding edge in terms of different from what they've done before. And beyond the camera, I think that there is, uh, there is a little bit of sameness there. And, you know, again, if you gave that phone to somebody and maybe this, you know, only inherently strengthens your argument, they're not going to know what processor it's running. They're not going to know how much RAM it has. They're not going to necessarily know or even care how much storage because there's actually only one SKU of storage, 64 gigs with SD card support. So all of those things that are under the hood, nobody's going to see and they're not going to care. And unless they bought the S8, they're not going to know that the S9's fingerprint scanner has been moved, uh, even though it still looks like a bean. But that to me, and again, along with the price, price lack, uh, the lack of a price change, excuse me, uh, tells me that Samsung is basically saying, buy this now and just wait and see what we're going to have later on. Two more things. It now has stereo speakers. This is true. Stereo speakers. And one of which is actually front facing. And you know what else it still has? A headphone jack. A mother effing headphone jack. Uh, uh. Sony. Everyone's uh, pulling the headphone jack up. No one has it left. Samsung's hanging tough. You know what I do have, though? What? I've got a bitchin' dongle. Hey-o. Boy, I didn't even mean for that I, to be a I joke, and it came even, out that way. I, I, can't, I can't get the jokes out quickly enough, <laughs> and they would be super inappropriate. So we're just going to stay away from dongle talk, especially regarding your dongle. You can't see it, dear listeners, but I'm giving Sean Plunk at the John Cena, you can't see me. Yeah. I don't know what's worse, man. The uh, bone conduction uh, <laughs> joke or the dongle talk. I'm, I'm on fire tonight. You're, I'm on fire like the 07, people. Boy, all right. Good times. What uh, what final thoughts do we have about the S9? Or have we covered it all? I think we covered it all. Samsung, make no mistake, they're going to sell a metric shit ton of these phones everywhere. They're going to sell any other Android phone by a margin. That's not even funny, but they're not even, they're not even playing against Android phones anymore. They're playing against Apple. And I don't see how this phone necessarily moves that needle as far as, wow, they're bringing something to the table. that's going to move Apple people over or really pick up market share, but they're still making the most well-rounded, the most well-rounded Android product on the market. In my opinion, I think the price is actually reasonable that it didn't go up. But I hope they do something a lot more interesting for the Note 9 because if the Note 9 looks as similar to the Note 8 as the Galaxy S9 does to the Galaxy S8... You're still going to buy it? Oh, of course. But you won't I'll like complain, it as much. I'll complain, but I'll probably <laughs> buy one. But it's just kind of like it would, it would be disappointing. Very disappointing. And I think my final thought is, is that for the first time in a long time, I actually have fielded questions from Apple users, some of them longtime Apple users, uh, asking me what I think about the Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus. And that's something that hasn't happened in quite a while, actually. Uh, I think since the Galaxy S7, um, I haven't had Apple people ask me about potentially making the switch. So it, this could be this could be a good thing for Samsung. Sitting, sitting pat, standing pat, sitting, standing. How do we pat? 
Do we sit or do we stand? <laughs> I'm going to let you struggle. Okay. I'm not throwing you a lifeline. Let's stand pat on that. <laughs> and, uh, it is that, by the way. Very good. <laughs> uh, I think Samsung standing pat could be a good thing. And in fact, there could be, you know, the people who are invested in the Samsung ecosystem, uh, Bixby Pay, uh, hashtag Bixby Pay. <laughs> Um, Freaking Bixby! Still yeah, but we didn't. Even, they still did leave the Bixby button, which is really like. Sean and I had a text exchange where we were talking about digital assistants, and it's like, hey. You know what digital assistant's best? The freaking Google one. Yeah. Like, why are these companies... Don't the hell make your own. Just don't. Just stop. Just don't do it. Stop LG and stop Bixby. I think I saw a tweet from uh, Marcus Brownlee, the MKBHD uh, gentleman, and he said something uh, to the effect of, yes, I do love the Galaxy S9 Plus, and yes, I have accidentally pressed the Bixby button 376 times today. <laughs> Which, okay, as a, as a Note 8 owner, I've never pushed it inadvertently, eh, maybe once or something like that. So I don't know what the hell he's doing. Of course, he does have hands that are the size of a small state. Yes. But um, it's, New Jersey. it has no reason to exist. I will say that. But um, so maybe maybe Samsung's on to something. We will have to wait and see. They will, of course, be releasing sales figures, and you know we will be all over that. We're definitely going to have some hands-on time as we get these devices into big box retail stores. So make sure you are following us on social. We are at Silicon Theory on Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitters. We will have pictures there and our commentary. We will probably have some additional video footage as well. So make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Head on over to youtube.com forward slash c forward slash silicon theory as a shameless plug i also uh shot a short video not too long ago about the peak design everyday backpack which i have used now for a couple months and love so check that video out and leave us a thumbs up there uh all of our content as well you can also find over at silicontheory.com that's the that's the mothership that's the home site so bookmark it check it frequently and uh Thanks again for listening, and uh, as we sign off, I will say we will talk again about tech soon. Hashtag dongle. Good night, everybody. <laughs>